You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight, we are going to be looking at two episodes of The Invisible Man. Episode four, Man of Influence, and episode five, Eyes Only. And let's turn our attention to Man of Influence. Senator Hanover visits the California mansion of Ernest Cheed, psychic. At a seance, he contacts the senator's late wife, Margaret, who tells him that with the ability to see what is beyond the veil of the future, the senator's current project is doomed to failure, and he must change course. Unfortunately for the United States, this plan is a bill to invest heavily in alternate energy sources. It had a comfortable majority in the Senate, but now passage seems uncertain. The Energy Department thinks that Sheed is a fraud in the service of an unknown entity that has a vested interest in traditional energy sources, maybe domestic, maybe foreign. The Energy Department wants the clay resource to find out the truth about Sheed. Easy enough, says Dan. I'm the invisible man. I'll go to Sheed's house, slip in, look around, find out his secrets, and if he's a fraud, I'll report back. No, wait. That's not his plan. His plan is to have his wife masquerade as the senator's estranged daughter who just happens to have died a few days earlier in the Andes, ask Sheed to speak to her mother, and when the mother recognizes her as her genuine daughter, they'll have proof it's a fake. Just one problem. The ghost of Margaret Hanover doesn't recognize the imposter, and, to make matters worse, the ghost of the recently deceased daughter shows up and denounces her. Oops. Thinking fast, Kate says they're really from the American Center for Psychic Research, and that she may be eligible for a $100,000 prize for proving the existence of life after death. Sheet is skeptical. He doesn't think Kate and Dan are researchers because usually psychic researchers are practitioners themselves. Kate arranges a demonstration of telekinesis after she has Dan leave the room. Wink, wink. Sheed is impressed and he invites them back for the next seance with the senator. He may be impressed, but he's also not fooled. He knows the Westons work for the Clay Corporation and that they have a very impressive asset known as the Clay Resource. They are dangerous and need to be dead. On their way home, Williams, Sheed's assistant, tries to kill them by running them off the road. When that fails, later he approaches their car parked on the street and sabotages the brakes. Dan sees him and, invisible, watches what Williams does, later reversing the sabotage. Sheed and Williams are surprised when Kate and Dan turn up at the seance, but Dan can't stay. He's taking the car to the garage. There's something wrong with the brakes that need to get fixed. After he leaves, Dan drives the car off a cliff, faking his own death. For some unknown reason, word of the accident finds its way back to Kate at Sheed's place, and the entire entourage go to visit the scene of the accident. Dan, invisible, catches a ride back with him to the mansion, where Kate has requested that Sheed contact Dan. He is reluctant until the senator starts to get suspicious. To Sheed's surprise, Dan's ghostly voice manifests at the seance and accuses him of being a fake and having murdered him. 
Dan exposes the ghost projector to the senator, then recites nursery rhymes at Sheed until he confesses to the murder. Soon thereafter, Dan turns up alive. It's a miracle. Okay, man of influence. Um, at least this was not a, um, impossible room to get in and out of the week episode. So they're branching out. Yeah, branching that's, out. that's good to see. What did you, uh, what did you think of the episode? It, you know, uh, as, uh, as episodes about, uh, psychics go, uh, it was pretty good, actually. I particularly liked the end when Dan decided to get the, uh, uh get all, all ghost on the, uh, the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's a fraud. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, he is. Uh, turns out he is, in fact, a fraud. Uh, just yeah. a very good one. Just a very good one. Yes. Um, yeah, because he has that uh, crack reporter that uh, tracked down the Hulk. Hulk, yes. <laughs> helping him out there. Yes, it Jack would, Colvin. It would, be, <laughs> it would be remiss not to mention Jack Colvin, uh, exactly. Jack McGee from The Incredible Hulk, and John Vernon playing Sheed, who is, well, I mean, you've just, you've seen him in a million things, and he's pretty much always the bad guy. Dark Shadows, too, right? John Vernon? Yeah. No, I don't. No, I, th I thought he was. Okay. I'm think thinking of somebody else. So. Maybe in the newer one. Mm. I thought he was like a um, a heavy in the early ones. Oh. Um, no, but uh, he was, um, uh, he, he certainly was a bad guy in, uh, what was that film with the popcorn and, and, uh, Oh, um, uh, and fuzzy real genius. Slippers. Real genius. Yep. Yes. There you go. Real he, genius. And oh, wasn't yeah. he, the, yeah, wasn't yeah, he yeah. the dean of the nerds too? Yes. Yes. That's in right. Revenge he of the Nerds. Went to academia after he was a, a bad guy. He was also or, a, a sheriff and yeah. killer clowns from outer space. Oh, that's right. You know, I really like that film too. I do. That that is a that good is film. actually it's actually a really good film. Everybody out there, go watch Killer Clowns killer from Outer clowns. Space. You will outer not space. be disappointed. <laughs> Join up on Patreon and maybe we'll review it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, yes, that is a surprise film that I thought would be crud. And then <laughs> I and, know. And really Same love thing. It. I, I own the DVD. I like it that much. Yep. It's, uh, it's, uh, hey, so we were it's talking about one. invisible people, right? We were talking about this one about guy in particular. Yes. The invisible man. That guy. Yeah. Um, I, I want to discuss first off the psychic phenomena, the way they treat the psychic <laughs> phenomena. We, yeah. we have had on this a, podcast the discussion before way. how in particularly in the 1970s right with with a, a few let's call them fraudulent but let's say mistaken to be a little nicer uh research projects that were going on in academia that appeared to be producing positive results that that people were actually thinking that there might truly be something to this mm -hmm. to to esp and telekinesis like staring at goats uh, yeah, the CIA as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably, and I don't have all the, I don't have all the names and numbers. And unfortunately, uh, I might get some of these wrong. But, but I do know that, for example, there was a team of researchers that were working on something. Um, I'm not going to name a university because I'm not sure of it. But James Randi, the famous James Randi, um, hired two one or two magicians and i believe the magician known as banachek was one of them oh yeah when yeah. he was when he was new before mm -hmm. he made a name for himself and they signed up for this psychic research and they were the star performers for 
the paper. <laughs> the, they went through this whole process and they were doing this, the most amazing psychic stuff. And the researchers were just recording it all. And like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. Our results are fantastic. And the, the point of the exercise was to demonstrate that the researchers weren't actually checking for fraud. Right. It was all 100% fraud. Yeah, but these funny what they're looking for <laughs> yep they were they were not they were not do, doing tests to make sure that these people weren't mm -hmm. cheating and they were intentionally to prove that this was an invalid survey and and you know anytime you hear about a survey that was producing positive results in the 70s pretty much this is the same kind of story it was all false but at the time you could be forgiven as a writer in particular uh in in believing that this was the next frontier, that, that this was a real thing and that we were on the verge of, of getting something out of it. So I was actually very much impressed with, well, for one, Dan never believed it for a minute. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I genuinely don't think he believed it for a second. Kate, unfortunately, was a little bit more open-minded if that's the right, or willing to be deceived by it. Yeah, her mind was open enough that uh, it almost fell out. Fell out times. at one yeah. point, yeah. Not quite, but almost. It, at least she was like, and, and, and you know, there's a, there's a fine line there. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm full and freely admit it that I think it's BS. And I think the evidence has shown that it is BS. And if somebody presented me with something right now, I would probably automatically dismiss it. And I'm not 100% sure that that's entirely the right thing to do, which is what Dan did. But on the other hand, a really healthy dose, dose of skepticism is, is very dearly warranted. Oh, yeah. I'd really have to have some really good proof before it's I got that. It's got to be really solid, solid proof on this. And although, you know, it was... They, they were good. But the part that I think maybe the writer wasn't quite uh, as naive as, you know, some of the writers who were writing ESP stuff is the statement that she'd made that said, you know, most researchers of psychic phenomena are practitioners. And mm -hmm. there is, you know, the fox guard in the hen house, isn't it? Yeah, you know, exactly. That, it's, that's it's like the problem. The People handshake. Who, People who believe in psychic research are the and and who who think they have psychic powers are the people running these bureaus, and so therefore naturally, they think it's real, and mm -hmm. or want to believe that it is real. And I I kind of feel like that was a dig, you know. You're not scientists. Mm. You're not academics. You know, psychic researchers are usually psychics themselves. Well, <laughs> yeah. How do you prove psychics exist if it's just the psychics saying we're psychic, we exist? So. I kind of, if you were going to do a story about psychic stuff, okay, good. And they made it convincing enough, i.e. what he was able to do, that the information resources he had, mm -hmm. and uh, that that he did a, a, a good job of putting up a, a front. So I, I, I'll give that up as psychic stories. Pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, also, I'm, I'm still, though, very annoyed, as, as you may have caught in my... Uh, recap this one would have been so easy for the invisible man to just walk into the house yeah 
and, and just... stand around for a while. And, you know, when no one's in the room, poke around, find the cameras, listen in on conversations where they're mm -hmm. talking about faking stuff or this, this one was, did not require any subterfuge of any kind other than just invisible man hides in house for a day, find out what's going on. Right. And, and that is a little, uh, well, it, it, it's disappointing when they take something that's so obviously right in the wheelhouse of the invisible man and decide to go with a, uh, overly complicated plot to, to, to get through with it. So, yeah, well, you know, makes better TV. Uh, what what is exactly with Dan when he goes down to watch William sabotage his car <laughs> and then he moves the the wrench? I I don't know. I mean, was he going to club him? I'm not sure about that. I genuinely, it's like if you're trying to be in stealth mode, picking things up and moving them yeah. is not the way to do it. Nor okay. is the fact that he constantly. And I can't say it's necessarily in this particular episode, but he'll be in a room and he's about to leave the room. <laughs> His wife, and he always has to stop. He's like, I'll see you later. Like, everyone can hear you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, maybe it's a, you know, just a, a slight whisper in his ears and the microphone's really sensitive and picks it up. I, I don't know. Yeah, but it, to the audience, it gives I the illusion. I know. Of, it sounds yeah. like he's just talking slightly lower volume. <laughs> Would it have been better if the Invisible Man, when he was a ghost, had put his head on? Mm, boy, I don't know. <laughs> That, I think if if he just would have like put a sheet over his head, that would have been classic, you know, because it could have been tear, you know taken off by the uh, by Cheat and, and and then revealed nothing, nothing under underneath it. it. Ah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that that could have worked. That could have mm -hmm. worked. Uh, do you, do you remember the good old days when alternative energy was a good thing, <laughs> and we yeah. weren't all in the the government wasn't all in the pocket of the coal coal and oil industry and, and that we were trying to find new and better ways to solve the energy crisis. Ah, the mid seventies. I kind of remember them. <laughs> I remember the lines for gasoline. I, I do remember that. To drive, but I yeah, was... remember sitting in the backseat of my dad's car, wondering why the hell we're in this line for like half an hour. To get gas. Yep. You had to get like two or three gallons. Yep. Yeah. That was, that was... <laughs> this is definitely a product of his age. Yep. Uh, so this is, is the second or third episode about energy. Uh, a big topic in 1975. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Big, big, big. Right? Yeah. I mean, look at uh, Man with a Golden Gun. Uh, true. 1974? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Solar energy? Let's see. Would it be 74 or would it be 73? I want to say I think Living things were starting was 73. To so yeah. Man with a Golden Gun's four or five. Yeah, it must have been five. Uh -huh. 75. So same year. Solar energy. Uh, I'm sure that the six million dollar man was constantly, uh, the OSI was constantly working on new potential solar power sources. I mean, it was a big. Oh yeah, big. that one episode where they put uh, uh, that giant solar hat on Austin's head. So oh yeah. yeah, oh that was awesome. Bionics, yeah, yeah it's fall yeah, back the bionic sombrero. Yeah, yeah, that, mm. was, <laughs> that one was a classic. <laughs> They've been just imagining that episode. Hmm. <laughs> Do you know what? I mean, we laugh. We laugh and we joke about these shows in the 70s. And and in a way, it was naive and it was funny. But honestly, I drive a half electric car. Yep. 
There are people driving electric cars. The houses around me have solar panels on the mm -hmm. roofs. I um, use electricity. Yes. Yes, I use electricity. <laughs> Still do. Yes. Um, I've been so known I mean, to turn off the lights in a room that I'm not in. It, it has been much, much slower coming than perhaps what they were thinking. I think. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think this is, you know, part of the, the, the zeitgeist is that we have all these shows like this. We're talking about all these new and amazing solar and, and alternate energy sources. And everyone was like, well, where are they? Where are they? And they get mm -hmm. disillusioned with them. But yeah. the progress is slow. Yeah, like jetpacks. We are. <laughs> okay. Nobody did that better than Mitchell and Webb. When they finally addressed that issue and said, what would it be like if we all had jetpacks? It's just <laughs> bodies flying everywhere. Yep. It's just the dumbest idea ever in science fiction. <laughs> well, I have jetpacks. No, no. Every time I see somebody that says, oh, we'll all have our personal flying drones and you won't even need an FAA license to fly it. It's like, <laughs> no, yeah. that is so not true. And if yep. they allow that, we're going to have to, we're going to have to. Live underground. Protest and yeah, because <laughs> I do not want some unlicensed moron flying a drone over my house. No, only if it's totally computer it. controlled. Yeah. Siri, and take me home. And still don't want it flying over my house. It should go fly along a set road. safe pathway. Yeah, like George Jetson's cars. But... Yeah, so you know when it uh, crashes, it crashes into traffic. <laughs> what? What if? What if you? What if you the cars episode? will will cushion its fall? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you got anything on this episode in particular? Let's see. Um, he took the time to fold his clothes when he put them in the uh, drawer. I thought that was pretty good. He doesn't. I, I was. He's very I neat was, man. I was very much thinking, is this really the time, Dan, <laughs> yeah. to to be? I think he folding? matched it and rolled his socks together too. We didn't quite see that. Well, yeah, we didn't catch that part, but he definitely yeah. did uh, take a lot of time. And I'm thinking, you know, Kate's really needs you in there right yeah. now not later <laughs> I, I noticed that uh, kate was pretty uh uh not terribly broken up that dan had just died in a fiery car wreck i mean yes. yeah she she wanted to talk to him uh you know in the the afterlife or recently dead or whatever but she wasn't like weeping or anything like that it was no. It's like well, okay, that's kind of weird, but all right. Let's face it; their marriage hasn't been very good. Oh, I think so, they're swingers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's pretty good. And I was kind of, I was hoping that Dan didn't like singe anything when he was standing over that candle. I really, you know, it was word for him there for a moment. Are you saying that when he blew out the candle, he wouldn't that ignite? Uh, well, you know, I, I, you know, he had to 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 jingle the chandelier. That's yeah. not a euphemism. He just he actually did move the chandelier with his hand. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, that's a terrible thought to put in my head because I remember her talking about getting a chandelier like that one to put in the <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I think we should have one of those in our house. Yeah, yeah. You sure do. I'm moves. standing on the table right <laughs> exactly. now. <laughs> Play jingle bells. Yeah. <laughs> This <laughs> went in an unusual direction. All right, well, uh, let's see. We have definitely. Uh, I saw the. Uh, I saw the the uh, uh, the rig that they used to uh, fly the wrench when uh, Dan was repairing the car with Kate. I saw the shadow of it. If that matters oh. for anything, I'm yeah. seeing a lot of a lot of little things like that in this series. You uh, you might want to talk a little bit about it. Uh, you sent me an article 
that unfortunately oh. is behind a paywall from um uh, yeah, darn, Lorenzo. Uh yeah, about Lorenzo, the, the uh DP. DP, director of photography. Um yeah. and uh about the the work Image that they 655, did. Image six fifty five uh system. Yeah, I didn't get too much more about it other than Apparently it was used by quite a number of people. It was, it was the thing for when you're, you had to put special effects in a movie and you really didn't want to blow the budget by shooting film of it. You would use the 30 or the, uh, you know, the enhanced, uh, video that they were using. Okay. So, so, to, so describe that. So in other words, if, if I'm getting this right, normally these shows are shot on 16 millimeter film. Yeah, right? Super 16, slightly larger format than regular 16. Same proportions as a 35 millimeter okay. or TV, a 4.3. 4.3. And this device actually shot those particular pieces on video. Right. So that they could do some processing. And then they translated it into film for the final. Right. I believe what they would do is they would take the video output in this case, uh, you know, a disembodied vase floating across the room or somebody interacting with a guy in a blue suit. Uh, and they would make a uh, they would output that to film and then they would use that to go into the optical printer and to merge them or marry the, the uh, prints together to get the final result. And, you know, for the most part, uh, in considering the quality of the televisions that these were watched on back in the 70s, it's a good job. It was definitely, yeah. a, uh, you know. It was a good reason why it was used in a lot of commercials and and TV uh, and uh, series and stuff. Now, I could not find like a big list of television programs that used it, though. I was looking for that, but I couldn't find it. It's probably um, it's probably quite a lot of shows that didn't use it regularly, but maybe in one episode or something they would. Yeah, like I can envision yeah. that on a six million dollar man episode where they had telekinesis and then suddenly they decided to. To do right. it that way, or yeah, something, where they but... needed somebody that something that they couldn't fly with wires in there. So anything yeah. you watch where the uh, the contrast looks a bit flatter mm -hmm. than everything else around it, and it's moving around, that's probably the six fifty five system. Yeah, and I so kind of wonder if uh, shows like Star Lost might have used it. I'm not sure. Or some other Saturday morning type stuff, or maybe all that all that stuff was just shot on shot video, wasn't it? Video, yeah, yeah, yeah it wouldn't have mattered. I'm not sure about the Star Lost, but certainly the Saturday morning stuff like Jason Star Command and things like that were, were, uh, were all video, I think. I don't know. I think Star Command was film. I think. I think maybe the special effects were film. Hmm. Kind of like Land of the Lost. That's that's film ex or video except when it's film. Well, yeah. Or you know, most BBC things where if you're outside, it's yeah. film and inside, film it's video. inside, it's video. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. That was not as common on primetime television. In the ninety in the United States, pretty yeah, much the, it seemed to be mostly video or film. film. Yeah, yeah, film was the the deal back in those days. Yeah. So now it's all video, of course, but it's all video that's quote unquote. You hear the air quotes, quote unquote, yeah, as good as film. And, mm, sure, uh, yeah, except it has, <laughs> still has that electric look unless you filter the heck out of it, and then people I knew say, you'd well, argue, why are you but, shooting yeah. on it? But <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, Yep, I I knew you would take offense to that statement. But, oh I mean, no, I'm not is, taking offense. It's the... just it's just two different formats, and yeah. you know the DP and the director uh, would have to. Well, they'd have to decide on the look they want. You know, they want to look like film or they want to look like video. So, anyway. do you have anything else on this one? Uh, I have one last uh, thing, but I'll save it for the end. 
Let's see. As the car went over the cliff, the explo- just before the explosion, it was pretty clear that that was a car from the 50s. I was wondering about that car. Yeah, it was. It, because it, it had did a not... high top and rounded and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't there. But also, didn't haven't we seen Dan's car before and it wasn't like an old black Oldsmobile or whatever the heck it was? Yeah, I was, think it was an Olds. Yeah, I, I think, think he that used was to have new a sports car before. And, and, uh, possibly? Uh, yeah, when he went into the lab in the pilot. He oh, was yeah, definitely yeah. Driving nicer well, this cars is probably and... the company car. So, you know, he blew up a company car. Oh, well, that's all right. I'm on a better car. I'm the clay resource. I want exactly. a better car than this. I had one. a better ride than this. I I I do appreciate the the uh the difficulty that he has getting around. Right? Yes. He has to stage his own death and then he has to wait. And remember, no cell phones. So how the heck did the police figure out how to get hold of Kate Weston? God, at, if I know. Right at the at the seance house. Uh, maybe he uh, he left his wallet on the road. I don't know. There you go. And my wife is currently at. Oh, you know what? Maybe the plate was uh, was still visible. Okay, but that would get them back to Dan Weston. That would not get them to. Yeah, good point. Yeah, Sheed's well, house. That's the magic in of a time. Television. In a in a length of time where they could get hold of her, they could all drive out to the place. And the police is still doing the investigation. It 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 beggars belief there a little bit on that one, but or or maybe there was a, a convenient phone booth that Dan used to call whom the police the police to say that there was a horrible fiery crash and uh, and it was I've been killed in it. I, My I, wife is at uh, I don't house. know. <laughs> I don't know. It's really falling apart here. We should it probably does, get out it of it. It does fall it's, apart on that one. Yeah. Cell phones make such a huge difference. Uh, well, they, had, they had radio phones back then. Mm. Yeah, but we haven't seen any evidence that Dan had them yet. No, so no. We got, uh, got that thing. So, yeah. But he has to drive home on their tail. <laughs> he has to hold on, on, on to it. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, he can't think they had anywhere. a luggage rack. <laughs> you know, it's not like he can just hail a taxi and ride <laughs> off in it. So. Well. You know, uh, you know, if he's clever enough, you might be able to. Oh, maybe, but in this case, it just didn't seem like the thing he could do. You couldn't hail a taxi in Los Angeles out on one of yeah, those roads. Yeah, where would he put his money? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How would he pay? Um, it, it's yeah. <laughs> so that that part amuses me, but still, it, just at the beginning of the episode when they were having a séance, Kate could have dropped him off a half block away. He could have gone in. There's no gates. He could have just walked in the door when the seance visitors got there. I know. Yeah. He's done the whole thing. Well, he's, he said that he did, he did want a new car. <laughs> he did say that. He did say that. So <laughs> A blue one. That's the important part. Yeah, blue one, right. Exactly. What kind of car do you want? Blue. Great, yeah. That's, that's what I say when somebody asks me what kind of a car I want. Mm-hmm. I go, uh, Tesla. But <laughs> I don't go blue or green. I'd want green. But still, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a pattern there, but still. Yep. So, um, here's my last point. All right. I hate to say it's my last point. But you have noticed that there has been a trend, perhaps, in, in episodes one, two, and three. We're at the end of the episode. Whatever's happening, Dan, that horny rhino, <laughs> has to rush Kate off for a little... Yielding out conjugal energy. action, mm-hmm. right? In this episode, <laughs> Sheed is 
the senator is saying to Kate, is it is it really <laughs> possible to make an object rise all by itself? At which point Dan grabs Kate by the arm. We're going to go back to the lab and find out. Is that a boner joke? Well, he did say, is it true you can cause things to rise by your mind alone? That was it. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. And he's Excuse like, me, Mr. Senator. We're going to the lab to find out. Find out right now. <laughs> like, yep. Okay, that is a joke I probably missed in, when I was 11 yeah. years old. When exactly. This yep. was on. And it still surprises me. Even now, looking yeah. back at 1975 TV, it's like you don't hear that on Buck Rogers episodes or Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, you hear or... Unthink, and that's about it. And really, yeah. we shouldn't go any farther there. No. No. Yeah. no. no. But um, Offthink. Offthink, that's right. Offthink. Offthink, yeah. Mm. Yes, that was the word okay. you shouldn't get to say. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, ended this, they ended this with an erection joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, an invisible erection. I, I think this show. is probably the series calling card. We might be the reason why it didn't get uh, a Renewed. full run. It, it it did get. We did mention that that you know watchdogs were uh, upset that this featured yes, a naked man because of uh, and, chandelier jiggling. And they are actually making more of a point out of it that he is naked. Yeah, that that he has got a problem there. It's like pardon me while I take off my head and walk around outside naked. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right, then. Let's turn our attention to our second episode tonight. That's going to be episode 05, Eyes Only. The director of the NSA comes to visit the Clay Corporation. They need help from the Clay resource, and they need it now. The director's highly trusted and highly qualified personal assistant, Paula Simon, is a traitor leaking secrets to the enemy. They just don't know how. Like everyone, she is checked for documents, cameras, and recording devices when she enters and leaves work every day, and yet not a hint that she's sneaking things out. An agent assigned to follow her was killed on a busy public street under mysterious circumstances without any witnesses. Their plan, Kate, will pretend to be an applicant for the job of the director's personal assistant's personal assistant. This will give her the opportunity to walk Dan into the NSA building, and he'll follow Paula. This he does. She is fed a fake document, which she must review, which Dan also reviews over her shoulder. Then he follows her. First, she visits lounge singer Tony Bernard. They're in love, and she wants to get out of this dirty game. He does too, but his boss, the contractor, is unlikely to be willing. Paula demands that he barter with the secret document she just saw. She'll turn it over, and then they're out. Back at her apartment, Paula sits down at a typewriter and recreates the eyes-only secret document verbatim using her photographic memory. The clay resource, having revealed how she does it, turns the info over to the director of the NSA. Job done. Except the next morning, Tony visits Jack Pearson, the meanest columnist in Washington. Pearson is Tony's go-between to the contractor. He demands that he pass along the ultimatum. Later, Tony is almost killed by gunshots on a busy, crowded street. He flees. They see this as an opportunity to find out who's behind this ring. While Dan reviews the news footage of the shooting, Kate returns to Paula. 
again posing as an interviewee and hopes to get into Paula's confidence. It doesn't take much. Paula already knows about the link to Kate and the Clay Corporation and potentially the Clay resource, so she confides in her. She wants to be arrested and protected. Dan figures out that there are construction workers at both the mystery murder scenes, so he investigates the contractor, who turns out to be the contractor. He learns that they commit the murders with a gun disguised as a surveyor's theatolite. The gunshot sounds being disguised by the sound of a jackhammer. They know Paula is betraying them and plan to kill her, but before he can warn anyone, he's locked on a job site, patrolled by a guard dog that really doesn't like him, and then locked inside the foreman's shack. Can he escape in time to save Paula's life? Answer, yes, he can. The day is saved. And so, um, episode five, Eyes Only. What'd you think of this episode, John? Mm, not as good as the previous one, but it was all right. Uh, there was, once again, there was one thing I, I, I don't know. I say I like it, I dislike it. Well, okay, there no, there is one thing I absolutely adore in this episode: the, the stunning and beautiful Barbara Anderson. Oh yeah, she was very who nice. is just just gorgeous in everything I've ever seen her in. Um, uh, our our listeners may know her from uh, not not covered on the podcast. She is Lenore, daughter of. Uh, Kodos the Executioner in Conscience of the King. Um, and she was also the nurse, Jean, and this was covered on the podcast, in the $6 million man pilot movie. No. The one that Steve falls in love with and, and helps him through his recovery uh, at, the, at the beginning. She just, she's always, she's a class act. Um, mm -hmm. She really comes off well here too. No, oh, yeah, mean, she's good. Um, and she's not... She's not as young as they typically are anymore uh, for Hollywood types, but uh, she just she's just lovely woman, lovely. Mm -hmm. woman. Um, so I, you know, two points up for this episode right there for for the casting. But uh, you know, what I was going to say the the thing that I um, I, I when I was uh, college age when I was in college, uh, mm -hmm. let's be clear, I was actually in college at college age, but I was also. <laughs> I was also an electrician, construction electrician, to try to uh, make money. Right. And uh, I've worked on many a construction site. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I can tell you, uh, probably every once a week, once a week, we're sitting down at lunch on a construction site. You've just gotten your food from the Roach Coach, and you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're sitting there with the crew. Uh, you all spend a little bit of time checking and usually somebody finds a nail, uh, a piece of sliced metal, uh, a, a divot <laughs> taken out of the bottom of your shoe oh, yeah. where you've cut your cut something and you never know. It. And that's just why you wear those big, heavy ass shoes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I wear construction too. And yep, exactly. You know, you wear the right shoes. If not, you really regret it. You really regret it. So as soon as I saw Dan going <laughs> naked at, at a construction site, I'm like, no, no, this is a bad, bad oh, idea, yeah. Dan. This, yep. this is, this is where the problem falls apart. This is far more dangerous than when you were trying to get into that computer room in the casino. Right, right. <laughs> or standing on the table with the candle or anything else like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You are in the back of the car, all of it. Yeah. You're walking barefoot in a construction zone, man. You better be watching your feet carefully. Yeah. And he wasn't, right? No. You no, saw was... him kick a board. He, exactly. He knocked all sorts of stuff around. 
obviously with his feet so we could see where he was going. But if uh-huh. you think about that, you kick a, a splintered two by four <laughs> with your naked foot like he oh, did. God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, man. That part was. Yeah, even snipped wires and all, all that stuff. Man, yeah. just not fun. Not not good. I, I think he should really concentrate on rebuilding the visibility machine and make himself some invisible Visible shoes. shoes. Even yes. if they only last a little while, you know, a couple hours, that's fine. <laughs> and he a does. jock strap. Well. Because that cannot be comfortable. Yeah, Chris, he's running. cold, too. Well, yeah, I suppose. But, hmm. so maybe a whole jumpsuit, like some pajamas. Oh, there's an idea. Onesies. Exactly. <laughs> Up to the top, and then uh, hey, maybe he's uh, done that. <laughs> I think, I, I think not yet. I think he hasn't done that far yet. Um, because <laughs> we did get the scene where he was in the lounge and he was complaining about the air conditioning. Oh, yeah, that's right, sneezing. exactly, exactly. And and he sle- sleezed, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, he did that too. In Paula's apartment a little bit there, unfortunately, um, blame the cat. <laughs> yes, that was good. Uh, yeah, luckily, she had a cat, yeah, otherwise, that. He could have been given up. So, yeah, yeah those were those were uh, a little bit of uh, problems. Mm-hmm. I I'd say this this was a slightly better use of the Invisible Man motif. Although, you know, I mean, he he does what an Invisible Man can do. He just follows her around. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That's exactly what he would do. You bet. I'm not Shatterer. convinced he could have gotten in the back seat of her car. No, that could have been. At least they could have like tried to time the doors closing. Yeah, or but, or, or even mean, they could the have had the windows open and he could have just crawled through. Yeah, maybe. Or or he could have just ridden on the car like he did in uh, in the previous one. Yeah, maybe he doesn't actually like that. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I can see how you might not. Yeah, bugs that, at least. This is in Washington really D.C. That's different. That's that's different from uh, Los Angeles. So. Well, I don't know. Otherwise. They seem to have palm trees in Washington D.C. So, uh, did did remarkably seem a little bit like uh, Southern California. Yeah, part of it did. DC. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's very close. It's that street just one over from Oscar Goldman's office. Oh, right, right. You know, it's Oscar Goldman's office is right there on Capitol Hill. But then when you go over one street, you're in Southern California. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like it's like one. having the Japanese cherry trees there. They have the uh, the palm trees from the Philippines, which were a gift. Oh yeah. There Back we go. In, uh, 1943 or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. For, Probably not for 43, more like 52. Yeah. We'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the uh, that uh, when uh, the uh, secretary, which I forget what her stage name was, or her uh, character's name. Paula Simon. Paula. Uh, she was at her typewriter. She had the whole internet next to her. She had a phone book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the entire internet next to her. Mm-hmm. Um, we we should not uh, fail to mention that photographic memory is not actually a thing. Yeah, it doesn't quite work like that. Well, no, it doesn't work like that at all. But uh, yeah, and and eidetic memory, which is mm-hmm. a different thing. Yeah, um, only happens in children, and it only yeah. lasts for a short period of time. So, in other words, you see it. And then maybe for a few hours, you can accurately recreate it. But uh, but it's not, she couldn't make it home and sit down, you know, go to the lounge and futz around and then come back and recreate right. it. But again, this is one of those things that Hollywood loves mm-hmm. because it's such a, it's such a great plot device. It's like amnesia, not the mm-hmm. way amnesia works. 
Uh, you yeah, don't hit exactly. Gilligan on the head with a coconut. And he can't remember who he is, or he thinks he's a Japanese soldier, <laughs> or whatever it is. It, yep. it doesn't doesn't work that way, and uh, and that's not photographic memory. Just isn't that. <laughs> Like it, it, it isn't. There are no documented cases of actual photographic memory, except but, in Hollywood. Yes, <laughs> yes, except in Hollywood. Um, so there, there is, there is that. I noticed that the uh, early on the senator, it was a senator, uh, mentioned that the clay resource had saved him previously. An NSA director. That was the director of the. Oh, NSA. the NSA director. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, that, yeah. That I didn't even know we had an NSA back in the seventies. Uh, yeah, actually, I made a note about uh, the NSA is mentioned. It's like, huh, it's interesting. That's by not, name, yeah, National yeah. That Security. wasn't really a very commonly known agency. At least that's what I thought. I'm I'm almost wondering if they they pulled an OSI on us and they decided, they named it and then they found actually, out that there actually was one. <laughs> come to think of it, uh, later on in the episode where the uh, the 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 the, uh, the muckraker uh, calls out the uh, the two. Uh, goons who are, are uh, uh, shadowing her, yeah, uh, as DFI and something else, yeah, some other agencies. So yeah, they might have just gotten lucky on that one. Yeah. By the way, speaking of this, uh, in in our last uh, discussion of man of influence, you asked about um, Vernon being in dark shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it was that guy, Thayer David, playing Jack. Pearson. Oh, okay. That All was right. uh, that was Ben Stokes and Professor oh, okay. Stokes from from Dark Shadows. All right. Yeah, he's a, an unusual, an unusual looking man. Uh, he's very distinctive, uh, mm-hmm. and also a distinctive way of speaking. So, uh, yeah, he was. Uh, uh, I was thinking that at the time when you mentioned it. So, uh, yeah, no, the NSA has been around since 1952. So. Uh, uh, yeah, I, maybe they were intentionally using it. I mean, they even called it National Security Agency. So, oh yeah, uh, oh, maybe they could did. be. Could <laughs> be the. I like the mention of the Salt Talks. That was kind of cool. The Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, it, it and interesting security that they have. They had airport scanners long before anybody else had airport scanners. There. Oh yeah, to get into the building. Yeah, to get into the oh, building, actually. they check everyone and they search them and. Uh, I mean, I don't recall ever seeing one of those before. Oh, I, I, I do. I, when I was a kid, I kind of grew up at the airport in North Dakota in Fargo, and uh, there was definitely a metal detector that you had to walk through. Really? Yep. I wonder why. Because uh, I know they, I know they popular. didn't have them in Phoenix in in the in the eighties at Sky mm. Harbor. Was Phoenix an international airport back then? Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, admittedly, I wasn't coming in and out of the international terminal, but you know, court buildings now have them. Uh, I suspect. I suspect the building you go to work in has one now. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, 1972 began the implementation of of metal detectors in airports. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. They must have taken them a long time to get that rolled out. <laughs> it's quite possible. Yeah. But um, anyway, so Dan needs Kate to go in through the metal detector so that he gets the opportunity to get in through, and he doesn't go through the metal detector. He goes over the thing. So why did he need Kate to do that? I don't know. You know, maybe he was worried that the 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 fillings in his mouth would trip it. I, 
I don't know. Why did he even need Kate there? I mean, he could have just walked through the metal detector yeah. at, at any time. And if it had gone off, so It was what? a glitch. Exactly. <laughs> just dodged out of the way of the, the guards. Oh, I got too close to it or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just well, I, I think it's probably the fact that Kate is just prettier to look at than an invisible Dan. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I'd say Kate is definitely prettier to look at than a visible Dan. <laughs> That's very true, yes. <laughs> too. Yeah, we'll admit that. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> All over the side. Um, yeah. Great scene where he hails a taxi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was wonderful. I was like, oh, I was waiting for him to do that. Figuring out the whole mass transit thing there. That's right. Buses might have been easier, but taxi to get him where he needed to go and then mm-hmm. threatens the driver by, you know, don't look in the back mm-hmm. and I won't hurt you. And uh, and then afterwards, two hours after you drop me off, never look back. Do not look back. <laughs> two hours after you drop me off, go to this hotel, ask for Dr. Dan West and he will pay you his fare and a great tip. <laughs> yeah. and he'll sound just like me. Yeah. <laughs> Straight with the accent and everything, you'll there's no chance you'll exactly you really the back of the air. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it might work. Who knows? I didn't have my wallet with me, and I was naked, and that's why I needed you to drop me off in the middle of a main street. Exactly, uh, <laughs> and nobody noticed. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I brushed over it in the synopsis. He goes onto the construction site. The construction mm-hmm. site is chained and locked. As they are. This is not 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 every construction site I've ever worked on. In fact, every construction site I've ever worked on during the work day, they are open. Oh yeah, definitely. And you do not have guards on them. But okay. Mm-hmm. But but maybe on a, a building site that's a multi-story high rise or something where there's dangerous. It depends on the neighborhood. On. Yeah. It so is DC. Yeah. So they had guards. They were locking the gates and only letting people come and go. So once Dan's in, he's locked into the yard. While he's in there, they bring in the the big ferocious guard dog. So now he's locked in with a big ferocious guard dog, which, as we know, dogs can smell invisible people and don't like them. And I wonder what a dog dog would do. I mean, I I don't believe the dog would do what it did with Dan. I, I I think it'd probably bark at it quite a bit. Yes, but how act I mean I know a dog can smell an incredible things that we can't smell. But how 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 accurate is that if they don't go sniffing around it? Right? This dog was basically sniffing the air and then looking right at Dan. Yeah. As opposed to say a drug dog that's going to be running around until he finds it and then like this is the spot. This is the spot. Um I don't know. I mean it would be a fascinating I mean if I had an invisible uh man, that would be an experiment I would conduct. To see well, if dogs you, could, you could blindfold find. the dogs, blindfold the dog. There you go. <laughs> Easy enough, right there. <laughs> Can't make the man invisible, but you can put a blindfold on the dog. And then that is why you should be a scientific researcher. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that out of the box thinking that we're looking for. Yes, you are definitely, <laughs> definitely the person that that we need. Uh, <laughs> Then he gets into the guy's office, and mm-hmm. it, by, the, by the way, he does this dressed, not invisible. Well, yeah, because he had a clipboard, and you know yeah. very well that if you have a clipboard, a clipboard and your, a hard hat, it is your pass for the world. You can go anywhere you want. You, just, you know, if you, you want just, higher level, you just put a a a, a blaze yellow or orange vest on, mm-hmm. and you are in anywhere. 
Absolutely. Hell, just wearing a name badge and you can be called an inspector. That happened to us at lunch once. We did. (laughs) I don't think we were, we weren't even wearing name badges at that point. I I was wearing my badge. Oh, were you? Okay, that could be it. Um, (laughs) Oh, a digression there. (laughs) I know exactly. You're L Super. I know exactly Uh where you're talking about. Are you health inspectors? Uh, Why are you asking? (laughs) Why are you paranoid about this? Yeah. And a store manager approaches you and asks that question. That's a good one. Uh, don't shop there. I, I thought we were being kicked out. <laughs> oh, well. I did we too. probably could have gotten free food. Yes, we are health inspectors. Uh, we'd like to try all the free samples. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so he gets into the foreman's office or the contractor's office. Okay, yeah, the contractor's. Palazzo I knew brothers. that was coming. The moment they said the contractor, I'm like, oh, maybe uh-huh. he's going to be an actual contractor. Clever. He right. gets in there and he takes his clothes off and he neatly folds them up along with his head <laughs> and his hands and then puts them in the closet with the foreman's extra helmets, shirts, things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, granted, he, he did have to jump in there because he heard somebody coming. Yeah. So he, he does that and uh, then he pokes around invisible, learns what he needs to learn, and and they they lock him in that office. But not before they open the closet, look in there, see his neatly folded pile of clothes at the bottom and going like, whose clothes are these? Who who does that? I I don't know. <laughs> whose clothes are these? Uh must be the thing. All right. Weird. All right, fine. Later, a dog gets it because Dan tricks the dog into trying to get into the office because he gets locked in. It's padlocked on the outside. It's that kind of place. And and the dog tries to get in. So they let the dog in. Dan slips out. The dog runs in, finds Dan clothes, rips his shirt up. Mm -hmm. So then they kind of tuck it back up, put the thing back in there. And and Dan tries to do stuff to get out of the place and eventually decides to go back for his clothes. He goes back for his clothes. He puts all his clothes on just except for his shirt, his face, his hands, the whole nine yards and realizes the shirt's torn up. And he's like, Oh man. So I have to get undressed again. And he takes all the clothes off. I'm thinking there was at least two shirts hanging in that closet. True. True. I think you would have noticed that he was, as he was hiding in there. Yes, because it'd be in his face, but uh, did not uh, did not turn out that way. Although I, you know, I enjoyed, and of course the dog jumps up on Dan. Yes, while he's invisible, and I guess the guys just thought the dog was doing a neat trick, dancing on two legs. Yeah, but for a trained attack dog, he wasn't attacking much. Well, you know, he didn't know where to bite. <laughs> he wasn't trying. Uh, true. Well, he was very friendly. He was just. I think they were just literally well, holding. You know, so holding he was paws all, or something and, all bark, no bite. Yes. Yes. And Dan did. Uh, did he step on a nail? Did he? Did he spike the nail in the side of his leg? What? I think it was on his foot. Because he the when the first dog got loose, uh, Dan had to leap up onto a hastily. Oh. Oh, the the memories these things break back bring back the hastily built plywood table that they make <laughs> yeah. on construction sites uh-huh. to do do miscellaneous work on that always have badly bent over nails. <laughs> yes, it's like they they get the guy who's this is the first day he's seen an, a hammer or nail to That's build the plumber. The 
They get the plumber, <laughs> yeah, you to, get build the plumber to build this. Yeah. <laughs> Carpenters are busy. Go build a table for yeah, us. Go build a table for us. No, don't use that. pipes. Use wood. Jeez. So he used, to, he used those 10 penny nails to, uh, no. to go through two quarter inch pieces of plywood. And so yeah. then you have about four inches of nails yeah, sticking like, oh, out. Yeah, it's like, do with this. Bend mm. that over. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Which is exactly what Dan got stuck on. And so yeah. he's now dripping blood all over the place. But if he'd stepped on it, it should have been on the bottom of his foot. And he should have been leaving bloody footprints. Footprints. Not but he drops. wasn't. He was just yeah. leaving droplets. Hmm. So. And we never see it running down the side of his leg or anything like that. So I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be. And he never limped. Actually, did we ever see him wearing clothes after that point? Yeah. At the No, uh, not walking. Never walking. Because we saw him put yeah, the clothes he... on and then take them back off because his shirt was ripped. And, and then, then he left and then they cut to another scene, I think. And he was he was ch- got in the truck, got out, got the cab, got there to save the life, was invisible yeah. the whole time. And then the next shot, he's sitting in a chair back at the clay corporation so no we did not we did not see whether he was limping which leg how he was hurt um but he did take care of himself with the lamest first aid kit i've ever seen in my life i was surprised it had anything in it okay true (laughs) first aid kits never have anything in them it was one thing wow one thing they never have is a big old bottle of alcohol (laughs) yeah okay exactly (laughs) it's like uh okay fine yeah, okay. I think even back then it just would have been a small bottle of iodine. Yeah, probably. Yep. Probably. Or would Bactine. have been a tube of antibacterial. Yeah, Bactine maybe. <laughs> if he got punctured with that thing though, those are Ooh. nasty wounds. Oh yeah. I hope he. I hope he got a tetanus shot. Oh yeah, a couple and have that cleaned out. Oof. Because yeah, I can't see the wound bad. to clean it out, Dan. Well, that's uh, the end of the clay resource. Uh, and and how do we know if it's infected or turning an ugly color or uh, when he passes showing out? any warning signs? Yeah, Ooh, yeah wow. actually, that's a serious uh, that's a serious problem for him. Not yeah, for us. interesting. First episode I can think of that did not end with them rushing off to have sex. Oh yeah, good point. Well, he wasn't feeling very well after that nail in the foot. That's right. Not to mention that he had just spent days in uh, in uh, Paula uh, Simon's apartment, so he probably oh, was point. not uh, not as amorous amorous with his wife. Yeah, yeah. or unless it doesn't <laughs> work that way. So who knows? Um, can you? I I I would believe. Okay, I would believe if a construction company pulled up on a busy street just out of the blue. And set up surveying equipment in the middle of the road. If they put down cones and, you know, they had, the, they had the right equipment and it looked like a real thing. I think you could get away with that for a short period of time to do surveying. Mm-hmm. Obviously, eventually the peace, police would be like, I didn't know there was going to be any construction on my beat today. But, but, you know, for a short period of time, I would believe you could do that. Because surveying doesn't really cause any problems. Right? It's just no, setting really. up some equipment and pointing stuff. Yes, he was painting on the sidewalk, which seemed a rather elaborate ruse. But okay, I got to go paint on the sidewalk before you guys can do the fake surveying to kill people. Yeah, that was kind of weird, but oh well. But here is here is the part that I find unlikely to believe. You may be able to set up and do surveying wherever you want to and get away with it. Hmm. I don't think you can set up jackhammering. Hmm. Probably not. (laughs) 
Because Paula is the one that set up the meeting location. Right. That means that within with just an hour or two's notice, they drove out to that site and started jackhammering a street without permission so that they could try to cover up the sound of the Well, you the know, gunshots. they had cones. So they're legitimate. They had cones. So of course they're they're beyond reproach if they have the right equipment. But, but if like they actually clipboard. jackhammered something then they would leave evidence of their being there. And then somebody would go, what construction company did this? And they might actually end up getting in trouble in the, in the end. Well, so maybe that, but it was, it was kind of clever, I guess. Yeah. It had good yeah, plausibility. I, I think somebody had the idea of, Hey, what if a guy doing surveying actually, it was actually a gun. Hmm. Can you, can you picture somebody walking a writer, a couple of writers are coming back from a six martini <laughs> lunch Mm -hmm. staggering down the studio and there's like jackhammers going on. And one writer says, you know, it's like, you look at shoot somebody out here and you'd never be able to hear over this racket. And the other writer's like, ah. I'm going to write that down in my little notebook. <laughs> yeah. My little notebook. Uh, <laughs> I got a show to write for next week. So yeah. yes, you have just, you have just pulled my bacon out of the fire. <laughs> yeah. In that one. I, I was Searching for a way to what to was the invisible man going to do next? Yes, he's gonna, he's going to fight a jackhammer. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> anyway, yeah, <laughs> I don't know that I have anything else on uh, this. Particular. I, I did I, notice I, something that yeah. was pretty good uh, as the dog jumped out of the uh, or jumped after Dan um, when the guards opened the door and Dan jumped away and fled. Uh, as the dog was lunging towards him, they panned the camera, and there is a fantastic shot of the sound guy's boom mic catching the sound out there. And it's on there for a couple of frames, and it's it's crystal clear. And I have to admit, or I have to say that it didn't move, which was, you know, fantastic, because that dog was launched pretty much right at the sound guy. <laughs> and he didn't move. It's like, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of speaking of, of of nothing at all, but uh -huh. turn changing gears completely. Sure. <laughs> Interesting undercover plan when Kate goes in to be the personal assistant to the director's personal assistant. Yeah, um, she goes in under the name of Doctor Kate Weston <laughs> from yeah. the Clay Corporation, uh. and you do have to ask yourself, what the heck does this job need a doctor? Yeah, and can't they provide some fake ID for these people? I mean, good grief. Yeah, it's like Paula is just immediately like, oh, Clay Corporation. I mean, come on. Come on, you guys work with the Clay Resource. Come yeah, on, I mean, we're in, we're we've in been NSA. cutting checks for those guys for three years now. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> signed ones. those checks. I mean, big ones. What the heck is going on here? Well, I and passed information about them to the Russians or whoever you the You want to be personal assistant to the personal assistant? I get the feeling that Paula might have been well, uh, well degreed as well. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. I think she was definitely somebody who was uh, good at her profession. Obviously, so let me ask secretary. Let me ask this question. Mm -hmm. So the 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 premise here is with her photographic memory. Yes, uh, she's there in her office, and then the eyes only boys bring in a top secret document. Yep. To which she is only allowed to read and look at while they are guarding her. So she reads the document 
And then she gives the document back to them and they take the document away. Not counting the fact that she's a traitor and that she needs to see the document so that she can use her photographic memory to report it and pass it on to somebody. What exactly is the function of her job to read an eyes-only document? I think she was supposed to uh, digest and synthesize the information back to her boss. That's That's my only guess. Because I couldn't quite figure out what the personal assistant does with eyes-only information. Why the the senator or whoever he was wouldn't be cleared for that is beyond me. Director of the NSA? Yeah. Why he wouldn't be cleared for that, too, is beyond me. Well, I'm sure he is cleared for it. So what what is the point of having her see it? Uh, that, That was the part that didn't make any sense. It's like, what does she do in her job? Yeah, I don't know. It just, it just didn't, uh, it, you know, or that she would need to know it in that detail. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I could see how maybe, hey, we've got the salt talk stuffs in and, uh, but does she need to actually read it and memorize it? Well, again, if she's not memorizing, what is it she's doing with it? Exactly. So that was, that was kind of weird. Um, I mean, it was there to make it impossible, but I couldn't quite figure. And of course, if it's that important, why even commit it to paper? But well, yeah. we just we just take this paper around and show it to people, and then they uh, they 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 can't memorize it. So therefore, they're no use to us if we say. So, how many bases have we got in Czechoslovakia? Two uh, in uh, uh, somewhere more in than places. one. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of I don't I don't I have never had exposure to those sorts of things in real life, so I'm not quite sure how they work. So. Uh, but yeah, it does seem to be a little bit implausible that that's how it would work. So we had her boyfriend, Tony uh, Bernard. Yes, Tony Bernard. Tony Bernard, who's the name of the actor eludes me at the moment. Bobby Van. Bobby Van, of course. Yep. Uh, Hector and Vector. I don't remember that, but I know he's been in a bunch ah, of stuff. Ah, you do, you do. Battlestar do. Galactica. Oh, oh, wait. The, yeah. Yeah, starting to come back to me. Quick talk about right. something else. <laughs> Those the singing and dancing robots from oh, the, from Terra, yeah. yeah. Oh, from Terra, yeah, that's right. Uh, they weren't yep. on the planet Terra. They were Paradine on Paradine. Wow. Oh, they were going to Terra. I don't know. I... Yeah, they, they the the colonists they were they were going to Terra. They took some people the the space shuttle looking thing to the planet Paradine, and the two robots were there guarding the kids in the house and whatnot and they're guarding the house and yeah one of them was bobby van he was a singer mm-hmm. kind of weird the way they treated him in this episode brought him in sang a number had two scenes got shot at with a gun never seen again right just like yeah he he called up said he was gone that's it he's out yeah. here yeah. kind of makes sense but at the same time i don't know well, they I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's like in the last episode, Lonnie Anderson was in it, but yeah, yeah, he had to look yeah. really hard to actually find uh, like evidence yes. of her being in there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, she she was the dead daughter. That, that uh, yeah, and in, in, in scene, the photograph, but... that's how he actually told. You know, that's who she was. But yeah, anyways, this was this was. Uh, I don't want to say stunt casting because Bobby Van's not <laughs> that famous, but uh, but yeah, just kind of weird. I figured he'd show up at the end or. Nope, just gone. Out of here. Hmm. Somebody shot at me, I'm gone. Yeah, well, I guess he was in it just for the the money, perhaps. I always wanted to be in a show with Barbara Anderson. All right. (laughs) There you go. Here you go. Here's your chance. 
Anyway, I don't have anything else on this episode, do you? Nope. I don't either, and I think that's the problem with the uh, Invisible Man is that we're likely to burn through pretty fast. Yeah, <laughs> but that's fine. There you go. It's a short series. Yeah, John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. It's always fun. <laughs> Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, join me, Eugene. And me, Simon, as we discuss a Patrick's Troughton story set in the present day, what we think of Ben and Polly's final story and a potential new companion, and we look at the animation and how it stacks up against the previous stories that we've looked at. I hope you'll join us for The Faceless Ones. <laughs> <laughs>